this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me start at verse number 1. By the way, take some notes today. You'll, you'll want to. You'll need to jot down a few things. I believe it will, it will solidify what God's trying to say to you. Borrow a pen right on the back of the bulletin. Come on, take some notes today. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the church of Corinth, he says in verse 1, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. The Apostle Paul has held off coming back to Corinth because he's filled with sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? In other words, there is this great cycle of sorrow going on within the church. And he says in verse 3, I wrote about this very thing to you before. I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have more sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Have you ever been there? Ever had sorrow come from somebody that ought to have brought you joy? If you have children, then this is a definite. And I love all three of my kids. And they ought to bring me joy, but every so often, it is a very rare occasion, believe me, but every so often they'll bring me sorrow and they ought to be bringing me joy. I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, he says, not that you should be grieved, but that you ought, excuse me, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to have sorrow when I think about you or when I come to visit you. I want to have love and I want to be filled with joy. I think that's, we all should want that, shouldn't we? He goes on in verse 5, but if anyone has caused grief, He's not grieved me, but all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. He's really asking a question. Is this the right kind of punishment? Somebody stirred something up in the church. We're having to read between the lines just a little bit here. But somebody has offended. And so Paul, the apostle, is, is, is addressing this with the church. Uh, and so there's been punishment uh, given and, and inflicted, he says. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority, is it sufficient for such a man? So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Somebody say forgive and comfort. Come on, say it again. Forgive, Forgive and comfort. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Do you know that sorrow is contagious? It's like a contagious disease. Somebody that's sorrowful, be sure it's going to spill out on you. It's going to infect you and affect you sorrow and now it's coming back on the one who caused all the trouble and it says he might even get swallowed up in all of it because of the inappropriate actions of the church 
For to this end, let me keep on. Verse 9, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. Do you know that every situation that comes your way is a test? Everything that we face, every difficulty, every temptation, every misunderstanding, it's a test. Here's a test for the church. To this end I wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Just as sorrow is contagious, do you know forgiveness is contagious too? You start forgiving people who have offended you, and you watch what happens. That forgiveness will splash over on other people, and it will, it will also reproduce itself. Forgiveness, powerful. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11. Lest... Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Father, we thank you for your word. And I ask now, God, that it would produce the needed changes in our lives. Expose the enemy's plan today, Lord. Fill us with knowledge. Fill us with power so that we can fight this fight, the good fight of faith. We give you thanks for it as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is addressing an issue in the church of Corinth. Aren't you glad that La Palma Christian Center doesn't have any issues? Isn't that nice? We are one of the few, but we are just issue-free here. Well... From my mouth to God's ear, it would be nice, but we're really not. We're not a church that's free of issues. In the 12 and a half years of attending this church, I have seen an issue or two arise at La Palma. Do you know the thing that I have found that is connected to every issue? If you were here in the first service, don't answer. What do you think it might be? Pride. Pride? Well, I suppose so. People. It is, Leslie. It's, it's people. Every issue, you can guarantee there's a person attached to it. So if you have people, you have the potential for issues. Look at your neighbor and with love say... You've got issues. Oh, come on, somebody. I mean it in love. You've got issues. Come on, somebody. That felt so good. Tell somebody else. you got issues. I know. I know. You're right. You've got me. Debbie, I've got issues. Because I'm a person. We are people. We are human. We're not in our glorified bodies. And so we have issues, even within the church. Can you imagine? Someone in the church of Corinth offended. Someone rebelled. Someone brought sorrow to the church. They brought sorrow to Paul. We know that much. What is Paul's prescription? What is Paul's solution and his directive? Get even. Get revenge. Get back at them. 
What's he say? He says, forgive. Well, that's hard. I've had people say, you have no idea what so-and-so did to me. And you're right. But I do know a God that is able to help you forgive. It is in you. I promise you, if you've found Christ and decided to follow him, there is forgiveness that lies within you. The thing about unforgiveness, it does nothing to the one that you're holding that against. Absolutely nothing. In fact, people are dead and buried and still someone holding unforgiveness and won't let go. Paul says, you know what? Yeah, he brought sorrow. He, he stirred up some trouble. He offended. But forgive him. Then he says, take it to another level because he doesn't only just say forgive. Then he, he says also to comfort. Because see, here's the, here's the thing. Somebody can say, well, I've forgiven. They say it with their mouth but yet their actions don't line up with what they said. I've forgiven. Well, then go, go the extra mile. Then comfort. See, comfort comes from uh, a heart that uh, has, has empathy and, and feeling. See, then he gets real crazy. Look at verse number 8. This won't be up on the screen, but look at verse number 8. What else does he say to do? <laughs> really? Notorious, he says, to love, forgive, comfort, and love. And here's the thing, I'm not even going to preach on forgiveness today. This is, just the, this is just the runway we're about to take off. Because Paul shifts the focus to the real culprit of the crime. We're going to actually camp out at verse 11. Bring that up for me, please. Verse 11, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. As I read this, it just leaped in my spirit, and I got, it got my wheels turning and my mind thinking, how many followers of Christ are walking around completely ignorant of the devil's devices? The devil actually has a plan. It's well thought out, completely organized, and produces results. It's nothing new, but he doesn't have to come up with anything new because what he's doing is working. Satan is the great enemy of the saint. Satan actually translates adversary or enemy. The Bible gives several descriptions of him. Ezekiel 28, he's called the anointed cherub. Keep in mind that at one time he was heaven's choir director. One of the top tier angelic beings that God created. Luke refers to him, Luke eleven fifteen as the ruler of demons. I also want to remind you that when Satan was banished from heaven and he fell, he didn't come alone. The Bible tells us that he took a third of the angels with him. What does that say to you? It should tell you that he's got some bit of influence. 
He's got some bit of power, doesn't he? And now he's the ruler or the head honcho of all the demons. John 16, 11, he's called the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the God of this world. Ephesians 2 and 2, the prince of the power of the air. The Bible goes on to identify him as a great dragon, a roaring lion, the vile one, the tempter, the accuser. Satan is a formidable foe. He's cunning. He's powerful. He works overtime in doing what he does, which is trying to kill, steal, and to destroy. Paul's trying to get the church here in Corinth to see the bigger picture. He addresses the, imme the immediate issue. Yes, there are those who offend. Yes, there are those who bring sorrow. Yes, there are those who bring division. And we should forgive, we should comfort, and we should love. But the bigger picture here is Satan is trying to take advantage of us. Lest Satan take advantage of us, do you know that he's actually still trying to do that? Yes. He's trying to take advantage of you and his advantage over you, over the church, is that so many are ignorant of his devices. Well, not after today. Ignorance is just no knowledge of, unlearned, you're ignorant. I'm ignorant of, of French. I don't know how to speak French. I've never learned the language. But when knowledge comes, how many know what comes with knowledge? Power. Come on, somebody, say power. power. With, with knowledge comes power and the ability to actually fight the devil's devices. And so I'm wanting to put some knowledge in your mind and some power in your life today by exposing the devil's devices. Device number one. Distraction. First John 2. Let me read you a couple verses out of this. Starting with 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are not of the Father, but is of the world. How quickly our eyes are diverted how quickly we are distracted primarily by the world. Sadly, today, there are many churches that have fallen into this trap. They have patterned how they're going to do church by the ways of the world, trying to incorporate worldly ways into modern-day church. It's a new day, and so it's a new way. And so they, they implement much of the, the worldly way of doing church. I attended a conference. Oh, 
year ago. And I, I had to breathe through some of it because I, I am Pentecostal, decidedly so. And um, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, much of what I've already said and what, what has been demonstrated in this room. But there was so much worldliness brought into this conference that I was, I was immensely grieved. There was vulgarity spoken from the, from the pulpit. Inappropriateness. One, one pastor of a large church, and I don't even know what state, because I disconnected as soon as he started talking about this. He was talking about a fundraiser. And he said, you know you've got a good fundraiser going when you have to get a liquor license for the fundraiser. They'd have, they'd have an a Oktoberfest, beer fest, to raise money for their ministry. I'm not making this up, church. They'll go out drinking after the board meetings and after their, after their staff meetings and whatever. The ways of the world. Distraction. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it distracts us so quickly. If Satan can, he'll distract us by getting, to, getting us to focus on worldly things and the, and, and the world. We'll focus more on the material rather than the spiritual. Focus more on methods rather than the message. Focus more on men rather than God. And so with the slightest little distraction, just the littlest glimmer over here, he pulls our eye. And all at once, then, we're, we're, we're fixated on things that don't really matter. We're majoring on the minors. You know, a friend of mine gave me a great phrase that I have, I have implemented in my life when it comes to situations and, and, and things that matter and things that don't, and kind of a scale for me. It is this, in the light of eternity, write it down. In the light of eternity, you've got a situation, push is coming to shove. Say that, in the light of eternity. Does this really matter? Is this just a distraction? God, help us not to focus on things that don't really matter. Help us to not focus on the things of the world rather than, than you. It was 99 degrees one September day in San Antonio when a woman accidentally locked her 10-month-old baby niece inside a parked car. Frantically, the mother and the aunt ran around the car hysterical while a neighbor attempted to unlock the car with a clothes hanger, which I said a few weeks ago doesn't work anymore, remember? Soon the infant was turning purple and had foam coming from her little mouth. It had become now a life-or-death situation when Fred Ariola, a tow truck driver, arrives on the scene. He simply grabbed a hammer and smashed out the back window of the car to set the baby free. Make sense? Yeah. Was he Harold a hero? 
not even close. He said, the ladies were so angry at me because I broke the window. And he went on, he said, I just thought, what's more important, the baby or the window? Distraction. How easily are we distracted, church? And distraction is just a tool from the devil. It's a device that he uses. And he just sits back and says, that was easy. I hardly had to do anything, and I distracted them. It was just, it was just a glance at the, at the uh, Victoria's Secret uh, magazine. It's only an advertisement anyway. Oh, we can justify it all day long, men. But one little distraction, before you know it, you're imprisoned in a pornography prison. And ladies, you've got your own vices. Your vices are devices from the enemy. And they're distractions. So when we see, oh, I see, it's just the enemy at work using what he uses. Firing his darts, right? Firing his darts. If you know he's going to be throwing darts at you, how about we get a shield of faith up? Come on, somebody. How about we put the armor of God on? And we fight the enemy because he's not going to stop. He's got a whole arsenal of weaponry, devices. Colossians 3, 2, come on, put your hand on your head. It says, set your mind, come on somebody, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. God, help us with our thinking. Help us with our mentality. Help us, God, with what we let come into our minds, what we let stay in our minds. You may not be able to prevent things coming into your mind, but they do not have to unpack their bags and stay there and live there. You can evict them. In fact, the Bible says that we ought to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, put your, put your hand on your eyes. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus. Oh, yes, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, we lay our hands on our eyes now, and we pray, Lord, that we would not be distracted by the devices of the enemy, every little glimmer, every little sparkle, the, the ways of the world and the worldly things. God, help us today to set our hearts on you and to set our minds on you and to look unto Jesus today. Hallelujah. Device number two, jot it down. Discouragement. Discouragement. Satan had a yard sale. You probably didn't even know he had a yard. The story goes that the devil had a yard sale. He was making room for more things, more, more weapons, more tools, and so he's getting rid of some, some things that, that he's used before. And, and, and lust, somebody come up and bought lust, and boy, they paid a high price for lust because it's such a powerful tool, powerful weapon. Pride, somebody came up and said, oh, I want pride, and so they bought it off the, off the yard sale of, of Satan. And on and on it went. Him, him letting go and, and selling off his things. And off in the corner, off near the garage, you know Satan had a garage either, did you? There was discouragement. And somebody said, how much for discouragement? How much for that device? How much for that weapon? How much for that tool? He said, there's no price on it. It's not for sale. I could never let go of it because it's my most 
powerful tool. Discouragement. Everybody hits it. Everybody will be hit with this. Discouragement. Do you know that it's just a device, a weapon, a tool of the enemy? And one of his most potent devices. You feel discouraged, what happens? You give up. Anybody ever wanted to give up? Well, if you give up, give up to Jesus. Give up and let Jesus take over. The Goodmans used to sing that. Give up and let Jesus take over. Don't give up to the enemy. Discouragement is a lack of hope. Usually after a great victory. I know. Discouragement comes many, many times after one of the greatest breakthroughs you've ever had. You come to church on Sunday, you get free, you get healed, you get clarity, whatever you need from God, you, hopefully you'll get that in this room today. I hope you get it every Sunday that you come here. But you leave out of here and there's an enemy wanting to steal away all the goodness that God gave, all the seeds that God planted, wanting to do his thing, steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it by discouraging us. Many are confronted with this discouragement the Monday after the Sunday breakthrough. More kids at camp got in trouble after the Holy Ghost night getting filled up with God and getting filled up with God's Spirit. And it's the truth, Karen. They got in more trouble on that night than any other night. They're falling out, laying out, speaking in tongues, prophesying, all kinds of stuff, getting called to mission fields. And then they go get in trouble out behind the snack shack. Never fail. More preachers quit on Monday than any other day of the week. Elijah had one of the most outrageous displays from God on Mount Carmel. God showing himself to be the only true God. Sending down fire, lapping up the water, lapping up the altar and the sacrifices. And just following that, not very long after that, Elijah was severely discouraged. It happens to everybody. It comes to everybody. The devil wants us to believe that things are really worse than they are. It's a, it's a tactic. It's a device. It's a dart. It's a weapon. It's a tool. Nobody cares. No one understands. Well, I've come to tell somebody today that God always understands and God always cares. Always. Let me, let me highlight just a few sources of discouragement. You see, it comes from, it's a device from the devil, but he might put the tool in, in somebody's hands. See, discouragement comes from people many times. It happened in Deuteronomy 1.28. God promised a land to his people. Deuteronomy 1.28, they said, where can we go up? 
Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller. The cities are great and fortified. Moreover, we've seen the giants there. Be careful who you let speak into your life and who you listen to because it may be the enemy using one of his devices, which is discouragement, powerful, potent, coming through someone that you really love and trust. You have to be very careful, church. Not everybody's going to speak the right thing into your spirit. Discouragement comes from people. Oswald Chambers had a great, great quote. I didn't get to use this for the first service, but he said, a man who is continually criticized becomes good for nothing. The effect of criticism knocks all the gumption and power out of him. Be careful, somebody who's always criticizing, always discouraging. Circumstances also bring discouragement. People bring discouragement. Circumstances bring discouragement. Numbers 21, 4, and 5. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the souls of the people became very discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Wow. You know, it's one thing for the people to complain against the man of God, against Moses, but they took it to a whole other level of complaint. They started complaining against God. I don't recommend that. They got so discouraged by their, their surrounding and by their circumstance. Hunger. See, they were hungry, and so they said, God, would you just send us some food? And so God said, sure. So he did. Miraculously, he made bread come down from heaven. Well, manna, and they made bread. They made something to eat. But they got so tired of that, they started complaining against that. No food, no water, red seas in front of us. Oh, it's hotter than, than blazes out here. Circumstances can be very, very discouraging. But discouragement cannot stay. In fact, discouragement must not stay. It comes to us, but we have a say. When we recognize that it's a device from the devil, we have a say in whether it stays or not. I'm not saying you know, be oblivious to discouragement. That's like saying don't fear. Fear comes, but it's then what are you going to do with fear? Are you going to release your fear to God? That's what don't fear means, see? Fear is going to come. You didn't invite it. It came, and there you are. I don't want to be afraid anymore, so it prompts you to do something about it. Same thing with discouragement. You didn't invite it. You didn't go and seek it out, but here it is. It cannot stay, it must not stay. If it is allowed to stay, it is as though you are really putting your trust and your faith in the devil and his devices. So in order to get rid of discouragement, encouragement. The way to get rid of discouragement is by encouragement. How many have your Bible with you today? Come on, hold it up. 
Encourage yourself in God's Word. I want to give you just a few ways that you can encourage yourself to get rid of discouragement. Encourage yourself in God's Word. If you will faithfully, consistently, diligently discipline yourself to every day open the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, delight yourself in the Bible, hey! I believe you will encourage yourself in God's Word. I believe it's that powerful. I believe it's able to affect change, whether I'm preaching it or whether I'm studying it in my, in my devotional time in my closet, whether I open it with my family, whether I read it to my staff, whether I read it to the board in our board meetings. I'm telling you, it will encourage me every time. If you're discouraged, get into the Word of God and encourage yourself in God's Word. Second way you can encourage yourself is in God's presence. And I can promise you a way to get into God's presence. It's what we have done here today. By lifting up praise and by worshiping Him, He inhabits the praises of His people. And so if you are discouraged, begin to praise. If you are discouraged, begin to worship. Just begin to say, God, I know that you are still God. I know that I am overwhelmed right now. I know that I am discouraged, but I know that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You do not change. And what you've done for me in the past, you can do for me right now. And you begin to lift him up. You begin to praise him and tell of his worth. I don't care if you're in a sanctuary. I don't care if you're with your family or if you're by yourself in your car. Praise him. Him, worship him and he will come and sit right there with you I can't tell you how many times I've almost had to pull over because the presence of God has just surrounded me and enveloped me and filled my life hallelujah a surefire way for discouragement to leave your to leave your life is to give God praise and to give God glory Amen. encourage yourself in his word encourage yourself in his presence encourage yourself number three in his house I still say there's something to be said about faithful church attendance. Come on now. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. And especially all the more as the day approaches. The day of the Lord. The day of judgment. Folks, we need to be assembling together in God's house giving God praise corporately, hearing the word of God as a body of Christ, and receiving the word of the Lord and the help of the Lord around these altars. Don't say, I'm not even getting out of bed today. I feel so discouraged. Rather say, I know if I get to the house of God, God's going to show up, and I will leave out of there encouraged. Do you know how many times I've wanted to call one of my pastors and say, could you fill in for me this morning? But I couldn't. And so I get myself to God's house just like you. And by the time I leave, I've seen the hand of God stretch out and, and bring healing to people. And stretch out and bring provision to people and open doors for people. And I'm encouraged. Encourage yourself finally in God's family. I'm trying to help you find ways to get discouragement out of your life. 
encourage yourself in God's family, I think one of the best ways that can be accomplished at La Palma Christian Center is through the avenue of life groups. You're gathering together with the body, only it's on a, a smaller scale of about 12 to 15 people, and hopefully you will connect to these folks in such a way that they will watch out for you, they will pray for you, they will be there for you, they will encourage you. Device number three, let me close this. Disillusionment. Disillusionment is the state of being disenchanted, disappointed, by unfulfilled expectations. The state of being disenchanted or disappointed by unfulfilled expectations. When things don't turn out the way we planned, when things don't turn out the way we thought, the way we hoped, shattered dreams, broken promises, unfulfilled expectations. We shouldn't be surprised that disappointment comes knocking. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me, John 16, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. But we're in the world right now, aren't we? And so as long as we're in the world, we should understand that trials will come and tribulations will come. And with the trial, with the tribulation, comes disappointment. Disappointment. God, I thought it was going to go like this, but it didn't go like that. God, I thought I was going to have a baby. I thought my wife was going to have a baby. I wasn't able to conceive. The storms of life roll in. And we think these waves will destroy us. We think the waves of the storms of life will completely destroy our boat, completely destroy our life. But what if God, who is the, the master of the storm, the master of the waves and the winds, what if God is actually in the storm? Oh, I believe he is. I don't believe any storm comes that God is not in. And God is still the master of the winds and the waves. What if God says, wave, I want you to crash on this side. Wind, I want you to blow this way. And we thought we were going to go here. But God, somehow, some way, made the storm take us to another destination. Amen. I believe he does it all the time. The apostle Paul was going to Rome. Acts 27 and 28. You can look there this afternoon. He was headed to Rome because there was going to be a trial. What happens? He's out in the middle of the, of the sea and a storm arises. And the storm is so severe that it actually pulls the boat apart. And the boat begins to sink. And everybody is left to fend for themselves. But God, in his kindness, allowed the, the debris of the boats to be there floating so everybody could get a piece of it. And the Bible says that nobody lost their life. Isn't that right, Pastor Jojo? No one lost their life. And so they didn't end up at Rome at that time. They ended up somewhere else. Anybody know where God took them? It was an island. The island of Malta. Didn't even know where that was. 
But here God is directing in a new way, using a storm to redirect. Oh, I wish somebody would get this today. Using a storm to redirect a life. You know what happened on Malta? Well, he reached in. They were building a fire, trying to get dry. And, and the apostle Paul went to put a stick in, see? And what happened, he went to get some sticks, and there was, there was a snake actually resting in the, in the sticks. And it came out and pew, bit him right on the hand. But this wasn't a black snake like we have in, in Terre Haute in the Midwest. You know, black snakes, I'd go and find them because I liked them. I knew they weren't poisonous, so I didn't mind going and, and picking up snakes. I'm a snake handler, yes. <laughs> I used to be. I'm not anymore. I better, I better make some things clear here today. It was actually a poisonous snake. The Bible tells us it was poisonous. What did Paul do? He just shook it off. Oh, this is a bonus right here, but you ought to just shake the snake off your hand. Hallelujah. Just shake it off into the fire. He shook off the... He shook off the snake into the fire. And there was no poison that came into him. And, and what happened is that alone, God brought a crowd. They thought he was demon-possessed then or, 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 you know, magical or whatever. He said, no, no, no. Let me tell you why this snake didn't kill me. Let me tell you why the venom didn't come into my veins. Hallelujah. I was heading to Rome, but God put me here on the shores of Malta. God redirected my life through a storm. He led many on the Isle of Malta to Jesus. There were converts on that island, and it says that they gathered everybody who had disease, and they all came and Paul prayed for them, and they were healed. Amen. Disappointment comes. Don't be disillusioned. Know that it's just a dart from the devil. He's doing what he always does. God's the master of the wind. He's in the storm directing the waves. You'll be disappointed. People disappoint us, don't they? Amen. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they break promises. And all that's the people in the church. <laughs> I'm just playing. My heart today, Claudia, come. My heart today is just to kind of peel the covers back, expose the enemy's plan. He's got some devices. He's got some darts. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be fully aware. Be sober. Be vigilant. 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, remember what Satan translates? Adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may What's it say? Devour. Devour. Completely consume. Maybe you're here today. I've asked Claudia. She sang a song on Wednesday that got into me. She encouraged me. She just said, Pastor Steve, God is able. I know there's some other folks here. Maybe they heard it too, but I heard it. I felt God directly, directly speaking to me, God is able. God is saying to me, I am able. Amen. Maybe you feel like the, the enemy's working overtime on you, trying to distract you. 
trying to discourage you, disappoint you, disillusion you, I want you to bring it to the altar. She's going to sing right now. I don't want you to delay. Immediately come and bring all of that to God. Today's the day to surrender all of that to the Lord. Would you roll that track? Claudia, sing this for me today. God's going to do something because God is able. Hallelujah. Come now. God is able. Come on now. Come on now. God is able. Bring your discouragement. Bring your distraction. God is able. Bring your disappointment. Hallelujah. He won't, he won't fail. Come on, bring it up to the Lord right now. God is able. Yes, he is. Tell somebody. Come on, tell somebody. God is able. God is able. Pastors, elders, come on, I need you to help me pray. Just go throughout this congregation. Begin to pray right now. Somebody's been distracted. Somebody's been discouraged. Somebody's been disappointed. God is able. Move out of when the doctor says no, Thank you, Jesus. still say yes. And when I'm in trouble, the same God who helped me pass every test, our God is able. God is He'll never leave you. He'll never, ever leave you. 
God won't fail. He'll be there till the end. God won't. Our God won't Come on and release to God your distraction, your discouragement, your disillusionment, your disappointment. Come on, release it to God right now. Don't hang on to that any longer. Let it go. Let it go. It's just a tactic. It's a tool. It's a device from the enemy. And we render it powerless in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. It will not succeed. Come on and dodge the dart today. He's firing off the darts, but we could dodge those darts and we hold up the shield of faith today. Dress yourself in the armor of God. Be prepared for the fight from the enemy. He's able. Yes, he is. Oh, oh, yeah. God is able. Come on, everybody, stand on your feet. I'm going to dismiss you, but just before I do, I want you to cup your hands toward heaven. God is going to open the windows of heaven right now and begin to pour on you exactly what you're missing. Pour into you what you lack. Hallelujah! That you will be able to walk this walk and fight this fight in the name of Jesus. God, fill every man and woman today, every student Fill us, Lord, with your power and with your spirit. Give us eyes, Lord, that see. Spirit eyes, spirit ears today, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Fill Bonnie right now, God, with your spirit, with your power. Oh, yes. Come on, receive all that God has for you. Let him pour on you. Let him pour into you. Let him lavish over you all that he has. Because God is able. Somebody say, God is able. Come on, say, God is able.
Never forsake you, God won't fail. He'll be there till the end. God won't. God won't Praise God. Hallelujah. God turned it around. God turned it around today. Aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> Come on and thank him. Just one more time before we get out of here. Come on and thank him for the victory in your life, church. Come on and thank him. Say thank you today for the victory, Jesus. That through your strength I can have. Father, we thank you, God, for your presence in this place today. Father, we thank you, God, that you are more than able. We are reminded. I pray that, that that phrase would be sealed in our hearts, in our spirits today. God, that when, when, uh, when, that, when the storm comes, when the waves come, that we would be reminded what your word says, God, what your promises said, what you have said, that you are more than able. We don't have to fear. Father, we thank you, God, that you have made us aware of the enemy's devices, God. And as he comes and, and desires to, to shoot them at us, God, that we would know what they look like, God, and be aware. Father, and, and claim your word and put up that shield of faith today. We thank you. We thank you for the victory, Jesus. God, we, I pray that it would not uh, just be in this place, but that as Monday comes and when, when discouragement comes, that we would, that we would not, uh, we would take captive that thought, God, and that we would continue to walk in victory Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every day of the week, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.